0: if you just joined us this is the daily bible reading show my name is calvin and this is live from cambridge from my home here in cambridge uk thank you for joining me and so let's look at our first passage 2nd chronicles chapter 27. There's so much stuff here Let me get it out of the way can't see the screen and we pick up with jotham jotham was 25 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 16 years in jerusalem His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. He did that which was right in Yahweh's eyes, according to all that his father Uzziah had done. However, he didn't enter into Yahweh's temple. The people still acted corruptly. Um, He built the upper gate of Yahweh's house, and he built much on the wall of Ophel. Moreover, he built cities in the hill country of Judah, and in the forest he built fortresses and towers. He also fought with the king of the children of Ammon and prevailed against them. The children of Ammon gave him the same year 100 talents of silver, 10,000 cores of wheat, and 10,000 cores of barley. The children of Ammon also gave that much to him in the second year and in the third. So Jotham became mighty because he ordered his ways before Yahweh his God now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars and his ways behold they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah he was 25 years old when he began to reign and reigned 16 years in Jerusalem Jotham slept with his fathers and they buried him in David's city and Ahaz his son reign in his place so so far so good you know Jotham takes over from his dad Uzziah and because he ordered his ways according to Yahweh his God you know things worked well you know uh, the Ammonites um, uh, whom he fought you know he beat them and they were paying him tribute and so far so good that that's the idea It sets things up for chapter 28 for this guy named Ahaz his son Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 16 years in jerusalem he didn't do that which was right in yahweh's eyes like david his father but he walked in the ways of the kings of israel and also made molten images for the Baals. moreover he burned incense in the valley of the son of hinnom and burned his children in the fire According to the abominations of the nations whom Yahweh cast out before the children of Israel, he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places and on the hills and under every tree, every green tree. By the way, when it says here that he burned incense and he burned his children in the fire, it's not just talking about how cruel he is, though he is, I mean, to kill your own children. But this was part of his worship, the worship of the idols or the gods of his day, and this was very despicable in God's eyes. This was not something God would ever ask um, his people to do, or, and especially his king. Uh, but again, it's, it's a byproduct of him chasing after other gods. The cruelty and, uh, you know, that, that's just a byproduct of that. But it's when your heart leaves God, then therefore all these things probably didn't seem that bad in his eyes. He was just doing what all the other idol worshipers were doing. Verse 5 therefore Yahweh his God delivered him into the hand of this king of Syria they struck him and carried away from him a great multitude of captives and brought them to Damascus he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel who struck him with great slaughter so two kings Syria and Israel and de- defeated him for Pekah the son of Ramaliah killed in Judah 120,000 in one day All of them valiant men because they had forsaken Yahweh, the God of their fathers. Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, killed Maaseah, the king's son, Azricam, the ruler of the house, and Elkanah, who was next to the king. The children of Israel carried away captive of their brothers 200,000 women, sons, and daughters, and also took away much plunder from them, and brought the plunder to Samaria. Uh, So again, uh, Israel is north of Judah. And Israel, though, you know, were descendants, you know, uh, 10 tribes, so part of that same family, they had broken away, they had their own king, and they were constantly at war. And therefore, they were seen as a, uh, not, not the kind of direction that Judah should have taken. And that's why when the king did badly, he, said, oh, he was like the king of Israel. So we're noting that differences between the kingdom and the king of Israel. And here in a talking, Ahaz, the king of Judah. Um, so carried away 200,000 yep okay Verse nine. but a prophet of Yahweh was there whose name was Oded and he went out to meet the army that came to Samaria and said to them behold because Yahweh the God of your fathers was angry with Judah so the kingdom down south he has delivered them into your hand the kingdom of the north and you have slain them in a rage which has reached up to heaven now you intend to degrade The children of Judah and Jerusalem, as male and female slaves for yourselves. Aren't there even with you trespasses of your own against Yahweh your God? Now hear me, therefore, and send back the captives that you've taken captive from your brothers. They're literally, literally your brothers, their descendants. For the fierce wrath of Yahweh is on you. Then some of the heads of the children of Ephraim, Azariah, the son of Johanan, Barakiah the son of Meshilamoth, Jehizkiah, the son of Shalom, and Amasa, the son of Hadlai, stood up against those who came from the war and said to them, You must not bring in the captives here, for you intend that which will bring on us a trespass against Yahweh to add to our sins and to our guilt, for our guilt is great and there is a fierce wrath against Israel. So, the armed men left the captives and the plunder before the princes and all the assembly. The men who had been mentioned by name rose up and took the captives, and with the plunder clothed all who were naked among them, dressed them, gave them sandals, and gave them something to eat and to drink, anointed them, and carried all the feeble of them on donkeys, and brought them to Jericho, the city of palm trees, to their brothers. Then they returned to Samaria. That's incredible. At that time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria to help him. For again, the Edomites had come and struck Judah and carried away captives. So wow, he, they're just being hammered, you know, from all directions, Syria, Israel, and now Edom. And so now he's asking from another superpower, Assyria, different from Syria, Assyria, asking for help. Uh, the Philistines also had invaded the cities of the lowland and of the south of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Ajalon, Gederoth, Soko with its villages, Timnah with its villages, and also Gimso and its villages, and they lived there. For Yahweh brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, because he acted without restraint in Judah and trespassed severely against Yahweh. Tigla Pilneser, I thought Pilneser, but Pilnezer, king of uh, Assyria, came to him and gave him trouble, but he didn't strengthen him. For Ahaz took away a portion out of Yahweh's house and out of the house of the king and of the princes and gave it to the king of Assyria, but it didn't, didn't help him. In a time of his distress, he trespassed yet more against Yahweh, the same king, Ahaz, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which struck him. He said, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, so I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. Ahaz gathered together the vessels of God's house, and cut the vessels of God's house in pieces, and shut up the doors of Yahweh's house, and he made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. In every city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods, and provoked Yahweh, the god of his fathers, to anger. So it just gets gets from worse, from, from bad to worse, where this king, you know, he he is defeated by this nation and therefore what goes through his mind oh i will worship the god of this nation that has defeated me and in order to worship that god he sacrifices all the treasures of his own god you know he breaks out all the pieces of the treasures from the temple and it's it doesn't doesn't make sense it, 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 <laughs> but and it but it does on the other hand it does make sense you know um, where you copy, you know, the idolatry of your oppressors, where you forsake, you know, the goodness of your own God. And remember, you know, God was good to his dad. You know, he followed God. And because, I think the reason was he because he had already turned away and he just didn't want to turn back. He'd gone out so far down this track of idolatry and leaving God that he thought, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You know, I must all just go all the way and get deeper. And that's the thing about, you know, sin, you know, sin is often not just one thing, but it's often a spiral. keep going down and further and further away from God and deeper into sin. Verse 26, now the rest of his acts and all his ways, first and last. Behold, they are written in the books, book of the kings of Judah and Israel, Ahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city, even in Jerusalem, because they didn't bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. And Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, reading this historical book, essentially, of these kings. And, you know, today you can buy biographies of, you know, Barack Obama has a biography, all the presidents, all the prime ministers, the kings even, literal literal kings, you know, you can read history books about them. And you can see that essentially what we would commit as, you know, our own sins, you know, pride, selfishness, or whatnot, you know, they're amplified when you're in a position of power. They're amplified when you're in a position of influence, such that when you sin, the consequences of sin is paid by the whole nation. And that's the thing about this king. You know, he sins in idolatry. The whole nation is defeated and carried away as captives interesting as well that israel who's always been portrayed as these you know people who have turned away from god at this point they listen to god you know they release the captives and they she clothe them and they send them back home in safety whereas uh, judah who's meant to have this king and you know a son of david forsakes god and it's all the more shameful you know when the nations obey god more than us so that second chronicles very very interesting i I find it really fascinating because it's it seems so current seems like what you would find happening today yeah 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 Hmm. revelation chapter 14 let me just have a peek here um yeah cool it says oh cool thank you Kifas, for liking the page (laughs) okay revelation chapter 14 uh john says i saw and behold The lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him a a number one hundred forty four thousand having his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads I heard a sound from heaven like the sound of many waters and like the sound of a great thunder the sound which I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps literally harpists harping their harps they sing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000, those who had been redeemed out of the earth. These are those who were not defiled with women for their virgins. These are those who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These are redeemed by Jesus from among men, the firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. In their mouth was found no lie, for they are blameless. It's a question, who are they? Who are they uh, described here in this first five verses? We find out that there are 144,000. And this should uh, ring a bell. If you go back to Revelation chapter 7, you remember there that the 144,000 unnumbered, here 144,000 sealed out of all the children of Israel And there are 12 tribes, and each tribe, 12,000. So it's 12 times 12,000, 144,000. But are they just Israel? Um, No, because immediately after that, John looked and he saw a great multitude from every nation, tribe, tongue, you know, which no one could count. So it's two sides of a coin. On one hand, it's talking about all the redeemed people of God in the Old and in the New Testament, hence the twelve. You know uh, but also times a thousand it's talking about 12 times 12 old and new times a thousand meaning all whom god has chosen to save he will redeem and then on the other side of the coin it shows there from every tribe every people and every language and so that's chapter seven and remember after chapter seven all the judgments come and leading up to chapter 13 all 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 the the retaliation comes. It's kind of like uh, if you watch Star Wars, it's you know a new hope. You know the seemingly you know their new hope would be chapter seven. You know where you know Luke Skywalker. You know he, he 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 he's this new hope. But then Empire Strikes Back happens, and that's what we saw in chapter thirteen. The devil and his minions they strike back, and they specifically target those who are God's people. But finally, you know. Chapter 14, I guess that would be Return of the Jedi. <laughs> but chapter 14, the Lamb stands uh, on Mount Zion, you know, uh, where his temple is, uh, where his people are, his land is, and with him the 144,000, meaning Jesus with all his redeemed. And they're standing there and they are praising God. That's the sound of thunder. Initially, it sounds like waters. Imagine like a waterfall, and you stand next to Nigara Falls. I've never been there, but I heard it's deafening, that kind of sound, that kind of sound. Initially, you think that it's thunder, you think it's water, but no, no, no. Verse 3, it's all these redeemed, countless redeemed, singing and praising Jesus. Praising this, this thing called a new song. Verse 3, And this new song could only be sung by the 144,000. You know, the angels couldn't sing this song. They couldn't learn this song. And the idea of this new song is the song that sings the praises of the Lamb. You know, it's a song that you can only sing if you've been redeemed by the Lamb. And it's probably something along the lines of, you know, the Revelation chapter 5, you know, praise, you know, you're worthy to receive all praise and glory, honor for you, redeemed all men with your blood. And it's that idea that, only those, you know, there's something special, something special about those who have been redeemed by Jesus, that they're able to praise Him in such a way that no one else can. Even the angels can't do this. But fallen and sinful human beings can. And they're considered blameless. And that's why, you know, these this picture of purity and blamelessness, this is because they have been covered in the in the purity and the righteousness of of Jesus, not because they are we are inherently you know pure or blameless. Let's pick up from verse six. Verse six, I saw an angel flying in mid heaven, having an eternal good news gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth and to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said, this angel with a loud voice, "Fear the Lord." and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come worship him who made the heaven the earth the sea and the springs of water another angel another second angel followed saying babylon the great has fallen which has made all the nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of her sexual immorality another angel a third followed them saying with a great voice If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is prepared unmixed in the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night those who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the perseverance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, from their works follow with them, for their works follow with them. I looked and saw a white cloud, and on the cloud one sitting like a son of man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Send your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. He who sat on the cloud thrust his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven he also had a sharp sickle another angel came up from the altar he who has power over fire and he called with a great voice to him who had the sharp sickle saying send your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for the earth's grapes are fully ripe The angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vintage of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress was trodden outside the city and blood came out of the winepress, even to the bridles of the horses as far as 1,600 stadia. So it's a very horrific picture of judgment. Judgment by the angels of God, possibly even by Jesus. We're not sure whether the one that looks like a son of man. I think I think it's referring to Jesus, but I understand that some people say that it's another angel. But it's a picture of, you know, harvesting grapes. You harvest the grapes, you take the grapes, you put it in this giant bucket vat, and you start stomping on the grapes to produce the juices. And that's a picture of how all all the all the wicked are gathered up in judgment and they're stomped in the full wrath of God's judgment and just before that there is this angel that goes throughout the entire earth and announces um, that this thing called the gospel this good news to proclaim to worship God alone don't worship well anything else and here the gospel is actually not just it's no longer it's no longer new to say repent and turn back but it's talking more about how judgment, judgment has come. Gi- judgment is final, and you know um, there's an element of actually the gospel. The gospel not only announces good news that there is salvation, but the gospel also announces bad news that there will be judgment, and this will be certain. And this was uh, actually, if you think of John the Baptist, where he says, you know, the the axe is already at the root of a tree. That was his gospel. And so that's similar to this gospel, that, you know, the judgment has come and it is certain. Yeah, so that's Revelation chapter 14, the preservation of God's saints, but also the judgment on all those who worship the beast and his image. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) A very sobering, very cosmic picture. It's not just one individual person and that person, but it's on all of humanity whether you're preserved together with all of God's people, or you, or you forsake God and you worship the beast. And the consequences are cosmic as well. Okay, so Zechariah chapter 10. That was very heavy. Oh, okay, let me have some water. Ask of Yahweh, rain in the springtime, Yahweh who makes storm clouds and he gives rain showers to everyone for the plants in the field. For the teraphim, what is that? Is that, is, that um, is that a kind of angel? Household idols that have been associated with inheritance rights to the household property. For the teraphim, household idols, have spoken vanity and the diviners have seen a lie and they have told false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore, they go their way like sheep. They are oppressed because there is no shepherd. My anger is kindled against the shepherds, and I will punish the male goats. For Yahweh of armies has visited his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them as his majestic horse in the battle. From him will come the cornerstone, from him the nail, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler together. They shall be as mighty men, treading down muddy streets in the battle, and they shall fight, because Yahweh is with them, and the riders on horses will be confounded. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph, and I will bring them back, for I have mercy on them, and they will be as though I had not cast them off, for I am Yahweh their God, and I will hear them. Ephraim will be like a mighty man, and their heart will rejoice as through wine. Yes, their children will see it and rejoice. Their heart will be glad in Yahweh. I will signal for them and gather them, for I've redeemed them, and they will increase as they have increased. Okay. (laughs) I will sow them among the peoples, and they will remember me in far countries, and they will live with their children and will return. I will bring them again also out of the land of Egypt and gather them out of Assyria and I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon and there won't be room enough for them he will pass through the sea of affliction and will strike the waves in the sea and all the depths of the Nile will dry up and the pride of Assyria will be brought down and the scepter of Egypt will depart I will strengthen them in Yahweh and they will walk Up and down in his name says Yahweh yeah so here's a promise that God gives that he will well uh, well at the end you know he'll gather all the nations not the nations he'll gather all the people who have been scattered abroad hence he mentions Assyria and Egypt and all those who have been scattered because they've been taken captive and he'll bring them back to their own land you know, and he will do this with his strength. And I mean, there, there's some, something very, very, very very obvious in this thing that he will do. And it's talking about the end of the exile. You know, they've been scattered and they've been taken captive. It's interesting, though, how it begins, because he begins by, um, by condemning the shepherds. You know, my anger is kindled against the shepherds. I'll punish the male goats. And just before that, they have no shepherds. And the idea of shepherds is it's a synonym for leaders, you know, people who lead the people. uh, Either a situation where there is no leader, no clear leader, or the leaders lead them astray. And there's something um, very, very um, peculiar, you know, God has peculiar condemnation on leaders who lead his people astray he says i will punish the male goats yahweh has visited his flock the house of judah and he will and essentially he will he will be their rider he will be their shepherd and so it's uh we don't know what the sh- what the shepherds did a clue might be verse two you know this teraphim and this diviner so it could be that they led people astray in idolatry kind of same story right you can kind of see that again and again in um in the bible where um yeah it's either idolatry or worshiping god but there's something very very worrying when the people who are meant to lead you in worshiping god lead you in worshiping idols the people who are meant to lead you to you know stay faithful to god themselves are faithless and are and walk astray and walk away from god yeah but God would direct that, like, you know, God himself would be our shepherd. God will gather all the people to himself. And, you know, he says this. He keeps repeating his name. You know, it's, he says this according to, you know, his own reputation. Cool. John chapter 13. I'm, I'm kind of beat. <laughs> I'm so tired. Yeah, I was hoping. I, I didn't have anything for in the afternoon. I was kind of hungry. I was hoping that this would do it. I was hoping that this would kind of give me some energy. No, I won't, I won't. I was thinking about eating the other mochi. <laughs> but then my mouth would be full, it would be, yeah. Okay, I'll just get through this, get through this. John chapter 13, get to the end. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his time had come, that he would depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he came from God and was going to God, arose from supper and laid aside his outer garments. He took a towel and wrapped the towel around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Then he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, you don't know what I'm doing now, but you will understand later. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, someone who has bathed only needs to have his feet washed, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew him who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, put his outer garment back on and sat down again. He said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. You say so correctly, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do as I've done to you. Most certainly, I tell you, A servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is one who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I don't speak concerning all of you, I know whom I've chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I tell you before it happens that when it happens, you may believe that I am he. Most certainly, I tell you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said this, he was troubled in spirit and testified, most certainly, I tell you that one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke one of his disciples whom jesus loved was at the table leaning against jesus's breast simon peter therefore beckoned to him and said to him tell us who it is of whom he speaks he leaning back as he was on jesus's breast asked him lord who is it jesus therefore answered It is he to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the piece of bread, then Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Now nobody at the table knew why he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus said to him, Buy what things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Therefore, having received that morsel, he went out immediately. It was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I will be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews where I am going, you can't come. So now I tell you a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also Love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, Where I am going, you can't follow now, but you will follow afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for me? Most certainly, I tell you, the rooster won't crow until you have denied me three times. Two instructions Jesus gives in two episodes here in this chapter. Firstly, Jesus gives them an example of what he does for us as our teacher and as our Lord. He washes our feet, verse 14, and he says, You also, should wash one another's feet. And I think doing that is not just serving one another, but doing that reminds us of how Jesus has served us. And that's the reason why we serve one another. It's not just doing a good thing or even helping someone in need. But this act of servitude, of humbling ourselves below our station, you know, reminds us of what Jesus did when he died on the cross. And that's what makes him the Lord. That's what makes him the teacher. That's what makes us his followers when we do the same for one another, right? Remember a pastor in the Chinese church when he was installed, ordained or whatever, you know, he was made the pastor of the church. He actually took out a cloth and he said this was the cloth the same cloth that he would always use to wash one another's feet and he did he, he did exactly that he actually washed i think he washed the elders feet or something and you know true to form um, he was actually one of the most humblest simplest funniest pastors I ever knew you know he was not you know he was not a cambridge kind of pastor he didn't preach to like thousands of people but he was the kind of person whom if you call you were guaranteed an answer. In fact, I remember he had several phones, you know, just, I don't know why he had several phones, but he said that different phones had different people who would be calling him. And every time he got into the car with him, he always had to stop because people were constantly calling him because he was the most dependable person. He would always answer the call whatever it was. He accompanied every single person to the hospital and not just visited them, he actually brought them there he, he was just everywhere and, you know, he would be doing the kind of things that I think many pastors wouldn't want to do. And just that picture again of that cloth that his installation it shows, you know, it just shows his character. You know, he was, he took this command so seriously. And I think that reminded him always, you know, to always humble himself, lower himself, bring himself low. And that position then allows us then to serve one another even better. And to remember how Jesus served us. So that's the first command. You know, to to serve one another, to humble ourselves before one another. And the second one is kinda related, but it's it's has a different effect, if I can put it that way. He says, you know, love one another. I've lost <laughs> I've lost uh, here here I've lost my place. Verse 34, Love one another just as I have loved you. You know, Jesus could have said serve one another as I have served you. But no, here, love one another. And I think it follows from the serving because here love then is therefore an action. It's not just an emotion. You don't have to feel that kind of fuzzy feeling for one another. In fact, you might not. But there's something obvious in the actions of Christians who love one another such that verse 35 happens. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. So, you know, the first one of serving one another, that is for you and Jesus. That is, it reminds you of how Jesus served you. But this love one another is so that others who don't know this love, others who don't know this serving, this kind of sacrifice of Jesus, can see it in the actions and the life and in the love that Christians have for one another. Verse 35, by this, Everyone will know. And therefore, you know, it it, it, it begs the question, what are you known for in your church? To be honest, most of my friends in my church, you have a reputation for being the most educated, you know, Bible-believing. And it is so tragic that therefore, they assume we are not the most loving. And you know, you could you can, I, I can think of so many examples whereby friends have been so loving and sacrificial and consistent in their love. But I think, I, I still think that it isn't the kind of obvious love that verse 35 is talking about. There should be something that people should immediately see in terms of our lives that look like Jesus's love for us. And I think, I think we don't maybe make that conscious because it's hard it, it's, it's easier to do this to do this kind of live stream it's easier to kind of like prepare a sermon and to get everything right it's easier to be mean and <laughs> to use the bible as an ex, as a excuse for that than it's to humble yourself to act like a slave uh, to be looked down on and to love people who maybe you don't feel that emotive love for but do you get what jesus is saying if you were to do that people would see and get it that this is what it means for jesus to love us you know again you know during christmas time are you known for your carol service for your live stream for your swishy whatever you know or you know what would it look like for us to love one another that is so obvious to even non Christians around us, yeah, and that's our that's our reading for today. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. Thank you so much that you convict us in our hearts, that you know that Jesus loved us in this way, served us in this way, and just challenges us. I think to be able to respond, and uh, to want to do the same. Well, I think we need to begin by just saying sorry that we haven't done this. Sorry for the times we've been, been cruel well, even to one another, for those whom we call brothers and sisters. And therefore, maybe even, you know, not the best of witnesses to those who aren't Christians, those who don't know you. But help us, Lord. Help us, and I know you want to. I know that you do do so through your Spirit to respond the way that Jesus does towards one another. And help us, Lord, to be the kinds of witnesses that will reflect that fullness of love and grace and generosity that Jesus has shown us on the cross. Help us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. This has been the Daily Bible Reading Show. Thank you for watching.